Hello, this is Mike Biffle, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 36 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, June 14th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll chat AT&T shopping WB Interactive around and what that may mean for the Batman IP. A new Star Wars game has leaked onto the Xbox Store, and of course, what the PlayStation 5 reveal means for the Xbox Series X. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And before we begin this week, I want to offer a quick word of thanks to Tatiana Delgado, director for the upcoming Xbox One and Series X title, Call of the Sea, for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to us about her debut title from Out of Blue Games and what it meant to be crafting a new narrative alongside uh, the gameplay for a title that's coming to the next-gen systems. It was fascinating to hear how they're going about creating that world, and I do appreciate Tatiana's time uh, and what it is she shared with us. I also want to say a quick shout-out to James Suti. I hope you're healthy and well. I know things were rough for a bit, but congratulations on getting your Xbox One X Cyberpunk Edition. That looks awesome, and thank you for sharing the pictures. Uh, I really enjoyed getting your messages, and I hope that you are, are healthy and well, my friend. On now to the news of this past week, of which there is a plenty, and we'll begin with the PlayStation 5 reveal, but even within that, it's hard to know where to start. We saw a plethora of games along with the box itself, and I think it's with the box itself that we'll begin discussing the PlayStation 5 reveal and what it means for the Xbox Series X. Sony showed off two SKUs of the PlayStation 5 in a rather interesting design. One of the SKUs will have a disk drive, one will be an all-digital edition, and the physical design of the box is, I would argue, rather pretty. I think it looks kind of cool, but it's very strange and unexpected. They showed it off in a tower design similar to the way the Series X was shown in that it's going to be vertical and upright. However, they do have the ability to lay them down flat horizontally. It is odd in that it's a two-color two SKU system, uh, or two two skew design it's hard to i don't know how to describe that it's got two colors it's white and it's black and when it stands upright it looks like something akin to avengers tower which has brought about a number of memes just as the xbox series x refrigerator design did and that has been fun to follow for sure but approximations using the the disk drive and usb ports suggest that this thing is a rather big console it's going to be larger than any of the other consoles we've seen uh end to end thus far in any of the generations and i'm very curious to see how that plays out once we get actual specifics from sony here but the box design is certainly something that's different from what we've seen from microsoft which i would argue is a very good thing it distinctly shows itself as being different from the switch from the xbox series x from the xbox one and the playstation 4 meaning that you will see an all new design now how important the physical aesthetics of a system are in launching into a new generation uh, is debatable i would say many people will point to function and games as the primary selling points and i tend to fall into that camp myself However, when you have an ugly system that might work against its sales in some respect, I would argue the Xbox One Launch Edition is an example of that. However, I think most of us will be putting this under our entertainment centers and moving right along with our entertainment experiences nonetheless. 
But uh, it, it stands to note that for Sony to produce a system that is all digital certainly says that they are ready for the next generation uh, of digital releases, something that we were wondering about after this past gen of not having a digital edition, Microsoft creating the sad edition for the Xbox One S, and just what that meant for Sony's philosophy going forward. Uh, certainly seems to be a cost-saving measure on some sense because everything we've heard about next gen is, is, is that in, as impressive as these systems are, they pack so much technology in, they're going to be expensive. And I'm sure that both companies will eat cost on their release, but a matter of how much cost and how much of that expense they'll pass on to consumers is up for debate. There is no official word on what the PlayStation 5's costs will be, but uh, bet your bottom dollar they're going to be expensive, 400 or more. I would argue that many of us are, are thinking 500 on this, or that to be kind of the average medium for the Series X and the PlayStation 5. And then up or down there is going to be, you know, good or bad accordingly. But I think we're all kind of mentally thinking PlayStation 5 and Series X are going to hit that $500 mark. I saw some leaks suggesting something as much as 700 and others as little as 400 And so at this point, I'm ready for concrete evidence uh, and sincere details to come about. Interestingly, in this presentation, while we did see the box, the, pro the focus was primarily on games. So at this moment, we have no official price. We don't have an official memory size. We don't have an official date. And we do not have any official word on uh, just what, what happens to services. Like, will your PlayStation Plus roll over? Will PlayStation Now be factored in? Do your, how many of your games officially work because the messaging has been so muddled? I fully expect those to come out probably around the same time we get the July information of the Xbox Series X in order to kind of counter the, the news cycles there. Uh, but there's a lot we do know and a lot we do not know going forward. And a lot of it is meant to be revealed over time. If you uh, blow your full load of news in one day, then you're unlikely to occupy more news cycles. But I would argue a good reveal of the physical box uh, with more inf information to come for Sony's side. Uh, however, they ha included a lot of high-profile titles in their uh, in their their show. I suppose is the right way to say that. Spider-Man Miles Morales for me took the cake. That was kind of what they launched with af after a rather strange and odd showcase of of Rockstar's place or uh, Grand Theft Auto Five being shown. Just that it's coming into to next gen with us. They showed off Spider-Man Miles Morales, and that was to me what takes the cake. But again, we have a lot of mi middled and muddled messaging there. Whether or not Miles Morales was a launch title, whether it was a DLC expansion to Spider-Man PS4, whether or not it was a remaster of Spider-Man PS4, I'm going to be coming alongside it later on. A lot of just confusing messaging that Insomniac themselves had to clear up saying that it's going to be a standalone title on PlayStation 5, but that it's an expansion to the Spider-Man story, but not a sequel Whatever. I'm all in for Miles Morales. I thought Spider-Man was a fantastic game on PlayStation 5, but this mixed messaging approach, whether or not we're going to have to rebuy a game or not, I think is a, something that Microsoft has keenly avoided with their smart delivery messaging that, you know, really smart delivery is a, is a great buzzword for marketing, and it helps us to avoid these types of confusion going forward. I think a lot of people will be buying a PlayStation 5 for Miles Morales, uh, myself included. We don't know at this point if, a, if it's going to come to PlayStation 4. It certainly looks like it can, uh, and maybe it does, but, but who knows at this point. Uh, other high-profile reveals there that were exclusive included Ratchet and Clank and Horizon, uh, not Zero Dawn, Horizon 
Forbidden West, which is the sequel to Zero Dawn. I am all in on Ratchet and Clank. They showed off the SSD loading times being zero and null as Ratchet jumped from world to world, loading in new worlds uh, as he went, and that was a really cool thing to see there. Horizon Forbidden West looked a lot like Horizon Zero Dawn, and nothing about this presentation looked truly next-gen to me. And there are a couple reasons that that might have been. First, they offered information ahead of time, something Microsoft should also do and take note of, saying ahead of time that they're going to be showing this in 1080p or, or that it wouldn't be in 4K and that they can check out individual trailers later on, but they wanted to have a clean presentation early on so that you'd have to look at your upgraded fidelity uh, down the line on your own time. I like that idea. I think that's something that's important to showcase, uh, something that, that maybe Microsoft got wrong and it's inside Xbox back in May distinctly showing what is next gen and what is not smart delivery makes that a bit more nebulous for microsoft to deal with but sony showed a lot of playstation 5 and 4 games but wasn't distinct about what was what a lot of us left that sony conference thinking oh is this game going to be on playstation 4 or 5 and then we find out later on what we thought was a playstation 5 exclusive might not have been is maybe it's also on ps4 is the game coming to pc and those are questions and frustrations, I think, that come with a lot of PR spin, and I fully expect Microsoft to do the similar similar or same things when they have their July event, but I hope not. We saw the optimized for Series X uh, logo in the past, July, in past May event. I want to see clear messaging from Microsoft going forward. Sony did not, in this past showcase, sell me the PlayStation 5 as a must-have right away. Of course, I'm, I'm buying into PlayStation 5. I'm excited for it, as I will be with Series X. The money's already set aside, and I'm stoked for it. But they did not show me that I day one must have a PlayStation 5 at this point. Because of some of that mixed messaging, are these launch window games, launch day games? I don't know. Can I play Miles Morales on my PS4? Unsure at this point of recording. So they didn't sell me on a PlayStation 5 day one. Microsoft can combat this mentality in their July event by showcasing reasons to buy into a Series X at launch or why I can keep with the ecosystem I've got going forward. Break down that a, a bit in just a moment. Uh, we had a couple questions on this topic and I think it's important to address them. The first question comes from Christian Cooper from uh, SteelSeries who's actually been on this show before a while back. Hello Christian, thank you for writing in. He says, do you think Xbox's response to the PlayStation 5 has changed after the PlayStation 5 event? Uh, that's a great question, Christian, and I would answer yes. Uh, their response has changed, perhaps in format or, or mild presentation, but I believe at this point a lot of what they were going to say in July is, is pretty much locked in. I don't see Phil Spencer as someone who uh, is intent to change everything and anything right away just because of what a competitor does that runs counter to their philosophy uh in this past generation since phil has taken over that they do not want to simply respond they want to be the aggressor which is probably why we saw in the game awards they released uh, the series x design so early on why they've been so forward thinking with smart delivery with backward compatibility and and a lot of their titles and studio building going forward i think what they will respond to is recognizing some of the flaws that they had in their May delivery with, with lackluster webcams or not showing enough gameplay. They need to be out the gate showing gameplay for a number of their games. They need to give us reasons to invest in a Series X early, even if the game's not going to be part of that kind of one to two year window where things would work on an Xbox One. 
they need to show us reasons why we need to invest in an Xbox Series X somewhere in the first six months of its release because those early sales numbers will set the stage for the entire console. And you do that via gameplay. I also thought it was impressive during the Sony conference when you know Herman Holst or uh, Jim Ryan were talking. It looked very clean and it looked very organized and it looked very succinct. They need to do the same thing there, kind of ditch some of the, the more casual approaches of the work from home bits that worked well, I thought, in an inside Xbox in May, but will not work well in your big July reveal. It needs to look clean and it needs to look well produced, I think is the right way to put that. We also had another question that came in from Elemento Pio, another wonderful, fantastic voice and supporter of the show. He says, with respect to the PlayStation 5 reveal, do you expect both SKUs to be the same price with or without the 4K drive? Uh, quick interlude here from me. No, I think there'll be just different prices. I think it was specifically designed to have different prices for that very reason. Uh, and then he follows up with, with respect to the July Xbox event, do you think it would be helpful or distracting to have overlays and diagrams during gameplay reveals to point out details and features? Hmm. That's a fantastic question, Elementopio. I am all in on the idea of having overlays. I think it was really nice to see uh, very few overlays in the Sony one, but it led to questions and concerns of, is this game available for this system, that system? What's this running in? Can I see a better version of it? And having an overlay of, hey, check this out in 4K later on, or check this out on your Xbox One X later on. See this on a Series X or Series X exclusive coming to PC and Game Pass, or just little bits like that running in, in a small corner, I think is worthwhile. You can let them fade in and out in order to allow for immersion in your game, but I think overlays are very helpful. Something else I'm noticing with like the Gorilla Collective and a number of these, these showcases that are spotlighting games is they go very quickly, and if I don't know what game I'm looking at, what the title is, what to Google later, I might miss out on it. SEO is a powerful thing, and if you can't optimize that search engine and search for a game's title, uh, you're, you're running counter to something that's supportive and helpful. When I saw the game Chorus at Inside Xbox, I really wanted to look it up right away. Didn't know its name right away. So there's some, some element to that. I think it would be wonderful if at various points in their July event, after the big reveal, like early on, probably middle of the show, they showcase uh, some, some smaller titles, give us some overlays, talk to us about the importance of Game Pass or xCloud, but do it very briefly. The, the focus really should be on next-gen. Uh, and just talk about how smart delivery and Game Pass will work into that. But good questions, man. Uh, great questions there. Something else that I wanted to note from the PlayStation 5 reveal that I found to be a bit confusing and something that Microsoft needs to keep in mind, Jim Ryan from Sony talked a lot about the importance of generations. They, he said at Sony they believe in generation distinctions, the idea that a game would work on a PlayStation 4, but then it's going to have a big leap to PlayStation 5. He talked a lot about that generational leap, which runs counter to Microsoft's smart delivery, have it and it works on its way forward, kind of the blended uh, approach. But then in the presentation, games we thought that were PlayStation 5 could actually be on a PS4 or they were cross-buy or just some strange oddities there that ran counter to the message of this is distinctly PlayStation 5. This is why you need a PlayStation 5. Microsoft should, in many ways, they have to balance, the, balance both sides of that argument. They need to be all about smart delivery and talking about your library moving with you. They need to talk about why it's a good idea to invest in the ecosystem of Xbox. They also need to sell you on an Xbox Series X. They've set themselves up for a, a really 
I think, potentially very lucrative approach here in having the best of both worlds, but it all comes down to method of delivery and methods of messaging. It needs to be aggressive while respectful, and that is a, a tightrope that I don't think they've walked very well of late. I think a lot of Aaron Greenberg's comments on Twitter have been interpreted and misinterpreted at various times as being uh, salty or or too aggressive, not aggressive enough, defensive, and part of that's navigating social media space, but they need to be very clear about what is an Xbox Series X game. This this Hellblade 2 runs on your Series X only in 2022. You know, this will get this game, this Halo Infinite runs best on Xbox Series X, but will also be available for Xbox One. Uh, I had a wonderful conversation with Mr. Badbit about whether or not he needed to buy an Xbox Series X at launch. Because, of course, we if we're entering into a new generation, it means new systems, but also do you need to buy into certain services? Do you need to upgrade your controllers? Do you need a new headset? Do you, don't you, do you, don't you? There's hidden costs that always come with upgrading. Do you need a new TV? Do you not? And these things are, uh, these are each individual questions that, like, some people may have to deal with buying a new TV. Some might need a new headset. Some might need both. Maybe you need two controllers so you can play with your friend. Maybe you don't because your stuff works or doesn't work. We don't know if our PS, our DualShock 4s will work comfortably on PlayStation 5. Stuff like that, right? And whether or not you need to buy in on a Series X on day one or if you can play Halo Infinite with your friends on your Xbox One and then wait till Christmas or wait till next March or when that, that Series X game that you absolutely need to look the best, be the best comes out, if you can wait till then. Those are worthwhile questions that the, the impetus and the onus is on Microsoft to answer for us. Uh, and in response to both Christian and Element Appeal and just thoughts that I had going through, the way that they combat a lot of this is to show gameplay for Halo. Halo needs to be gameplay out the gate. No conversations with developers right away. Let that be in the latter half there. But show gameplay and let that gameplay impress in spades. It needs to be distinctly different from Halo 5. It needs to look better than Halo 5. It needs to look nearly as good or better than that Unreal 5 demo that we saw running uh, a few weeks back. Halo Infinite has to impress. They need to be clear about their messaging, whether or not the stream is compressed, and it needs to look as polished as Sony's and not rough like it did in May. That, that part is simply a must. It needs to look as produced as possible if this is to be their E3 console-esque reveal. That's the idea there. They also need to show us distinctly with gameplay why buying into the Xbox ecosystem with its 15 plus studios is worth it. We know that Minecraft Dungeons is selling. We know that Minecraft is selling across multiple platforms. We know Obsidian and InXile are putting games on other uh, consoles right now. But what are they doing that's going to be Xbox only going forward? Games, games, games. That's the message. That's how they need to respond to that PlayStation 5 reveal, which I thought was a pretty good showcase. This is Sissy Jones, the voice of Fury in Darksiders 3. Be a dear, won't you? And listen to the Xbox Expansion Pass. You don't want to be on the receiving end of my whip. <laughs> now go. 
Equally exciting in my world to a console reveal was the accidental leak of a new Star Wars game. The Project Maverick that we'd heard so much about seems to be the now leaked onto the Xbox store Star Wars Squadrons, confirmed by EA to be shown in a Monday, June 15th presentation. We'll see exactly what Star Wars Squadrons is. And man, oh man, based on the key art and the taglines, it looks like this is going to be some sort of spiritual successor to either X-Wing versus TIE Fighter or Rogue squadron and frankly i could not be more excited i very rarely see a trailer for a game see key art for a game and lose my mind it's very there are very few titles that can do that to the insipid ghost however rest assured i am super excited for this reveal by the time this episode goes live you may have already have even seen it i know i will be losing my mind for it but a new rogue squadron-esque game in the vein of the old rogue squadrons one through three or x-wing alliance or even the starfighter mode of battlefront 2 which was exquisite those starfighter missions in battlefront 2 were fantastic. I could not be more excited by it. If this game's coming out this year, I will lose my mind. My hope is that it's available on Xbox Series X. I can't imagine a world or a, a method where EA doesn't have and available on next-gen platforms via smart delivery or whatever Sony's randomly generated word salad equivalent to that is. I'm so excited for a new Starfighter game in the Star Wars universe. My only hope is that it doesn't disappoint because uh, it's very clear based on the leak onto the, the Microsoft and Xbox store that this was a, a back-end mishap due to a lot of shifting dates in the industry, either due to COVID going on or the shifting of EA Play or the... Uh, accounting for Black Lives Matter and allowing that message to to percolate through the media sphere. In this past week, we know a lot of conferences moved around. Whatever the reason is, this accidentally leaked and EA was forced to confirm it. I would have been super stoked to to watch the reveal in a live in a live show. And can you only imagine how cool it would have been to be sitting uh, in the audience or watching an Xbox E3 event and see Star Wars Squadrons on screen? We would lose our minds. But I'm super stoked for whatever this is. I'm sure. And in all senses of the word, that it's going to be playable and look best on an Xbox Series X. I'm so in on that. Uh, but man, oh man, I am ready for it. Mm, Star Wars Squadrons. I cannot wait to see what it is. And you best believe that I'm in on day one. More concerning, less exciting, a bit nerve-wracking is that reports of AT&T shopping around WB's interactive division, meaning the WB Games division that housed things like TT Games, Rocksteady Studios, NetherRealm Studios, Monolith Productions, WB Boston, oh goodness gracious, Avalanche, Montreal, San Francisco, Playdemic. So many games within the WB uh, interactive studios look to be being shopped around right now by AT&T in, in terms of parent companies. This this is nerve-wracking to save the least because or to say the least because so many of us are excited and expecting a new Batman game revealed this summer. We've been looking at the Sony conference, looking at the inside Xboxes, we're ready. Is it going to be on Microsoft's quote-unquote stage and their reveal show? When are we going to see the new Batman game? And I would imagine uh, right now a lot of that has currently been tossed up in the air if AT&T is currently shopping around WB Interactive because the games are being made in-house there. Now, in this sale, it is clear, based on what we've read so far, according to VentureBeat and several others, that Batman and Harry Potter and some of the IPs do not travel with Rocksteady or WB Interactive, etc. However, what does that mean for the, if they're working on the IP at the moment? Uh, Todd Oxter wrote in asking me my thoughts on, that, on this, and I am, I'm very nervous because I'm so ready for a new Batman game. 
Uh, I can't imagine a world where the game is done or almost done and they don't ship it somehow, some way, because everybody likes money and they want to make money. I do wonder what this means for release dates. Does this hold them up? Does this speed them up? Are they trying to get the game out? What does that mean for any and everybody? I'm nervous and I'm concerned. Lots of people wrote in asking me whether or not I thought Microsoft would be a good fit to swoop in and buy uh, this slate. If AT&T is trying to sell WB Interactive, should or would Microsoft swoop in and buy it? Um, we know that Activision and EA are among several companies that are looking into the purchase. And Microsoft, I'm hearing, also you know, moved mountains to try and see if they could make this happen. Uh, by by the time we heard about this, I am sure that those conversations have already begun taking place. We often hear about things late. Uh, Phil Spencer has often said, as have many other executives, that by the time something hits Twitter, it's likely already been on their desk in a legal sense because everybody likes money and they're going to go to the people with the money in order to sell something. Would it be a smart and good fit for Microsoft to swoop in and buy? The answer to that is unequivocally yes, it would. Uh, NetherRealm and Rocksteady would kind of be the powerhouse quality uh, divisions of that purchase. And whatever it is they make, it's going to come out with quality. We've seen that from NetherRealm with the Mortal Kombat series. And Rocksteady has never once made a bad game. Now, what it does to the IP that they would work in, because they wouldn't have Batman, uh, they wouldn't have Harry Potter, I don't I can't imagine Mortal Kombat is neglected from that deal. I think Mortal Kombat would travel with NetherRealm. But if I'm Microsoft, of course I want those high-quality studios to add to my slate. Can you imagine Rocksteady working with a new or a new IP or Microsoft's IP in order to produce games that would come out in 2023 or later? All in on that. I would hope that they would open their very deep pockets because of the big three, Microsoft has the highest market cap value. I would love to see them go out and purchase WB Interactive. Now, as for whether or not I think that would happen, I don't know. Goodness gracious, I don't know. What would that mean? Do I would not want to see Rocksteady belong to EA or Activision. Something about that feels a bit disingenuous to me because while all of the companies seem to want your money, each of them seems to be operating with a different level of different level rather of doing something right by the fans. Microsoft's messaging because of their their loss status of the Xbox One generation, they're doing everything they can to earn goodwill with gamers. And I would trust them to do the most and the best for gamers in that. At this point in time, they are all companies and they all want your money. Uh, however, I think Microsoft would be the best fit for gamers at this point. Uh, and I also say that knowing full well that I don't like that Spider-Man is exclusive. I would not want Batman to be exclusive. I think Batman is a character that should and, and will belong to everyone. Uh, but I want the quality of Rocksteady. I want the quality of NetherRealm and TT Games as well with those LEGO games. I want that quality within a Microsoft realm because I think those fans have earned it. I think that the company has worked very hard to regain its image and has a lot of work to do to continue that image. And a lot rests on that July event. So, you know, that the idea of a, a Batman game being in flux due to a purchase scares me. The idea of those studios uh, potentially breaking apart if they're not sold to the right person scares me. And if it is Microsoft that swoops in, I would imagine they would approach uh, Rocksteady, NetherRealm, TT, Monolith, and all those other studios with the same mantra and attitude that they've had when they approach Double Fine and when they approach In Exile and Obsidian that make what you want to make now. We're going to fund and support you later to, to execute your vision. That seems to be a very developer-friendly uh, approach that they are hoping pays out to be consumer friendly and move unit sales later on. And when I say unit sales, I mean the selling of games. Microsoft has been very clear 
that they are not hinged upon selling the most systems any longer. It's an ecosystem. It's a it's a value proposition. So we'll see. So much rests upon that July event. That's why I keep going back to it. Uh, that July event is, in my opinion, make or break for the Series X launch, and they have got to deliver. Hate to be over there. Tell you what, but uh, man, as a, as a as a gamer, I'm excited to see what happens to to Series X, to Batman, to Injustice, Harry Potter, etc. While we filtered in a few of the listener questions this week into the topics, Famous Seamus and several others wrote in with some questions that I thought were rather fun to answer. Uh, let's start with Famous Seamus. His first question was, uh, if you could get a special edition of a game that you weren't able to get at launch, what would it be? And his second question, if you could get an ability that a video game character has, what would it be? And he's referencing things like gliding, breathe underwater, double jump, flying, etc. Um, first, Famous Seamus, as far as special editions, I had a phase of my life where financially that was not at all a realistic possibility. In fact, I had to sell quite a bit of my Gears of War collection at one point, and I'm, I'm heartbroken by that. And recently I've begun collecting a lot of statues, uh, PVC-style statues, to fill out my game room uh, as I'm a bit more on my feet than I've ever been in my life, and it's a, it's a unique territory to be in. There are several that I would reference. Uh, first and foremost, any of the Arkham games, I would really love a Batman statue from the Arkham games because I never got any of those special editions. Arkham Knight is my favorite game of this past generation, and I have no statue to commemorate that game. And no statue to commemorate any of the Arkham games, which are, you know, that's my absolute favorite. Uh, and so that that's kind of a bummer there. I also never landed the Darksiders uh, War or Death statues, but I have Fury and Strife, and I love them. Uh, I ended up with God of War, Spider-Man, Halo 5, and Reach. I have those statues as well, and I, lo- I love them dearly. But uh, I, I Arkham Knight, uh, I really wanted the Ori Special Edition. I didn't end up snagging it at the time. Uh, but I'm a sucker for statues of games that celebrate... Uh, or rather statues that celebrate games that I love. And uh, Arkham would have been a, a lovely one to snag. Titanfall as well, although I do have a pretty cool model of, of BT-7274 that I like. It's just not a full-on like PvP statue. I also don't have any statues of Gears of War. I have pop figures, uh, all the books and stuff, but uh, no statue. I would, I would have loved to get those. I hope that uh, is a worthy answer to your, your question there. Uh, and as far as an ability that a character has that I would want... Uh, double jump or flight would be lovely. I think uh, that's that's something I lack in the real world as my body ages and doesn't do what I want it to. Uh, being able to double jump or, or leap tall places, I think flight is a bit of a cheat because like, oh, I'm going to be like Superman in that one Superman game. But uh, double jump, I think, is my answer there. Really and truly, I just want to be like a lot of our video game characters where they, they heal if they're injured. That would be lovely. Oh, man, I got so many injuries on my body right now that I would just love my shoulder to work the way it's supposed to or something. Uh, But good question, man. I love it. Uh, Let's see here. Bill Coniglio writes in, and he says, How long before the back back compat team gets back to releasing more titles for the Xbox Series X launch? It would be a shame if they left the program as is. None of the big outlets seem to be asking this question. Uh, Bill, I have it on good authority that the Back Compat team is indeed hard at work at bringing a number of titles forward. Part of it is a matter of bringing the the entire BC library that you were able to play on your Xbox One to Series X, and they are still clearing new titles from from that Back Compat world that's going to come out with Series X. Part of it is a matter of making sure everything looks and feels good for Series X. The other part is they want a number to tout and say, hey, we've, we've got X amount more games because that is a good way to occupy an occupy a news cycle the team is continuing to work on that program and they're working around a lot of it's not technical it's a matter of licensing Uh, there are several games that i would love to 
see continue to make their way into the back and pat program. I think the Arkham Arkham Asylum or Arkham Origins uh, XBLA game. There's a Star Trek game I really like. A lot of that stuff. Finding a way to work around licensing is the biggest issue, but that team is not done. I've talked to one or two people that that are on that team uh, off record, I guess is the right way to put that. And the team's not done with their work, but there's no specifics that can be revealed yet. And publicly, they did say in a a Xbox Wire address that they're still working on clearing over 200,000 hours by the launch. Uh, But the program's not done, man. So don't worry about that. There's more games coming. Uh, And you you gotta admire for... What I would argue is the least legacy-based set of IPs compared to Sony and Nintendo, they are doing the absolute best at preserving and creating legacy. So uh, hats off to Microsoft for that, and they're working to build a legacy and build that stuff out in a program that began, began with Rare Replay way back when and is now bringing so many titles forward. So I'm, uh, I'm stoked on that. As far as the outlets asking big questions, I think it's because they know the answer and there's no... No big revelatory response in that at the moment. Our last question comes from Edward Varnell, who was kind enough to have me as a guest on his show, Optional Opinion, which airs uh, sometime in the next week or two. He had me on as a guest, which I appreciate. Hello, Edward. Thank you for having me on. Uh, His question was, what game has the best visual backgrounds that made you pause and look at the art and other technical techniques in a different manner? Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, first and easy answer is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I know that's fresh in my mind off of the review this past week, this past week, this past year. But Ori and the Will of the Wisps executed on visual uh, art in a way that I don't think many other games do. And I think it's rather underrated. That game is so incredibly good that I think more people should take the time to go look at it. They used a lot of background techniques that really let certain areas pop and the different biomes are are just stunning and gorgeous in their own right. Uh, You and I have talked before about uh, Gears of War 5. Uh, Did a great job at showcasing visuals when you entered into the jungle at Azura in the first level. The brilliant and vibrant greens and the shadowing effects there. We've even seen Series X footage of of Gears 5 running with ray tracing, which is incredible. But Gears 5 is a good example of brilliant art that's, I think, unappreciated due to technical problems or technical frustrations or design. Because they started with this brilliant, green, vibrant world. And then through narrative design, they went to a snow desolate place and a desert desolate place. And those were rather sparse, but because of where they were, and it didn't offer the same amount of graphical impressiveness, despite being beautiful and well-crafted. I do want to give another shout out visual backgrounds to uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. When I first saw that running on an Xbox One X, the draw distance and the, the shadowing and the lighting, those were brilliant and gorgeous backgrounds that were just just bar none stunning and i was taken aback by that initially also with with a a comfortable shout out to sony god of war did a great job of this as well in in factoring scale into those visual presentations and i was impressed and pleased with that uh going forward i'm also thinking as silly as it may sound state of decay and sea of thieves both did a great job with skyboxes Uh, The games may have had varying levels of visual fidelity due to either being stylized in Sea of Thieves' case or the the lovable jank that State of Decay can sometimes bring, but the skyboxes in those really made for great landscape and lighting. State of Decay redid its entire lighting system, so if you log in and, and download it now, it's fundamentally a different game than what you downloaded in 2017, so... Uh, those are. I hope those are good answers to your questions there. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I'm gonna comfortably conclude with that part there. 
Uh, guys, stay tuned for a disintegration review coming up next. And beyond that, I want to say thank you to all of you for listening and writing in questions. We had a wonderful uh, back-to-back set of interviews coming back in these past few episodes, and it was nice to just have uh, me hang out with you guys here. Uh, thank you to all of you who are listening, who have shared the podcast. I really appreciate those numbers climbing each week. I appreciate those of you who are reviewing on iTunes if you're an iTunes user. So whether you're on Spotify, Google Play, goodness gracious, iHeartRadio, Pandora, all the all the random services that, that podcasts go out on, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for sharing the show, rating the show, and making me a part of your your week, feel free to message me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. You can email me insipidghost at gmail.com or message me on Xbox Live at insipidghost as well. I send you now to my review of Disintegration and I ask that you all have a wonderful, fantastic week. Take care, guys. Disintegration Review Code provided by Private Division. Disintegration is a fun and flawed experience. On paper, it sounds fantastic to combine first-person shooting with a tactical real-time strategy game, and with the co-creator of Halo being involved, plenty of eyes are on the project. In concept, it's brilliant. In practice, though, it comes off as a bit clunky, and that may be due to some weak AI and uninspired weapons. It features an art style that is a step in the direction of Anthem or Destiny in terms of design. Disintegration creates a sci-fi world of humanity decimated by natural disasters and neglect. Humanity then took the route of transferring their consciousness into robot avatars, and the story follows a predictable pattern of struggle from there. You'll play as Romer Scholl, an elite pilot of a grav cycle, which is the player's method of transportation. Piloting your grav cycle around each level, you'll shoot in first person with a variety of weapons and blast wave after wave of enemy robots, each displaying red eyes to battle against your own blue-eyed brethren. Your weapons run the gambit of fun and intimidating down to tepid and embarrassing. Some of the weapons look and feel fantastic, while others will lack range or punch. The frustrating aspect here is that during the single player, you have little choice in how to outfit your grav cycle. Don't like the shotgun? You might be stuck with it for 30 plus minutes during any level. Outside of the primary and alternative weapons, which sometimes act as a heal assist to your allies, you'll rely on special attacks from the NPCs that accompany you through each level. Each of your mechanical allies features a special attack like grenades or ground pound or even a mortar attack, but during the single player campaign, you have no choice for how to allocate your crew loadouts, and that may make leveling up with your characters and scrap feel a bit silly throughout. It's easy to notice that the campaign is designed to prep players for multiplayer outings, but it's also a 15 plus hour story that offers glimpses into fantastic moments that would have been nice to have a bit more of a customizable attitude towards it. Similarly, the art feels a bit erratic. Mechs will look and feel wonderful at various times, but because you play at an isometric distance, you'll not be able to appreciate just how good some of the designs are. Many of the buildings will shatter apart under fire with a brilliant level of destruction, but you're so far away it doesn't do it justice. I found myself several times scooting my grab cycle down to zoom in on a player uh, or an NPC, and I was really impressed with how intricate the designs were, and it was befitting of something straight out of Destiny. And yet, at a pulled-back camera viewpoint, I couldn't appreciate it. Many of the, the buildings would shatter apart under fire as I destroyed them in order to battle my foe, but I couldn't appreciate it again because I was so far away. It was confusing and erratic at different times that really speaks to some of the frustration in playing Disintegration. Battling mechs and using cool weapons, it's right up my alley, and there's no doubt that I really did enjoy quite a bit of the single-player campaign. But 
Disintegration feels too rough around the edges to catch on with a mainstream audience, and it's unlikely the multiplayer gains legs that will do the design justice. Even at a discounted price of $50 at launch, Disintegration is likely a pass for many to all but the most avid of robot shooting enthusiasts. It makes its way If it makes its way into a subscription service or hits a deep sale, dive on in. Otherwise, I would suggest you hold off. 